0: The Sadducees that we hear about in the Gospel tonight, they represent a very conservative stream in Judaism at the time of Christ. Uh, they are no longer around. When the temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D., so much of, of that particular group was connected to the temple that with its destruction, they, we don't have any record of the Sadducees after 70 A.D but they were a very conservative group in this way. They, they, they wanted and they did play it very safe when it came to scripture and they said, we only believe that the first five books of the Bible are inspired by God. So they only held to the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Anything after that They would have a certain respect for the writings of the prophets, but they did not regard it as divinely inspired. For that reason, they said, unlike the Pharisees, they said, show us where in those first five books it talks about the resurrection and we'll believe it. But we've looked and we don't see it and therefore we do not believe in the resurrection of the dead, which the Pharisees believed in. There was... Enough of a movement, even in the prophets and all of that, that had led them to say, we, we believe that God is going to do something here. So the Sadducees, for that reason, they put this question to Jesus. And it's not a sincere question at all. They're, they're trying to trick him. They're trying to really to ridicule his belief and the belief that the Pharisees would have had in life after death. And so they come up with, this story based on the law from Moses. That makes sense because they, they, they are only gonna to hold to those five books traditionally ascribed to the authorship of Moses. And they come up with this story and put it to Jesus and ask at the end of it, whose wife is this woman gonna be who married these seven different brothers? And one of their problems is that they're, they're taking an earthly view of marriage and they're just extending it out eternally. If there is a resurrection, then you're going to have a problem because this woman was married to seven different brothers. So now what? And that, that's one issue that Jesus addresses. But what the Lord does in his response is he does not get baited in to the question that they put forward that really is just uh, to ridicule any belief in the resurrection. Uh, It it was not a sincere question, but he doesn't get drawn in by that. He goes down to the heart of the matter for them and he ends up showing them that in fact, uh, even though the word isn't there, that, that there is life after death here on earth, Jesus shows that it's implicitly, it's already there and what he says to them is, he goes back to the the scene of Moses in the desert when the Lord revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush and he says, remember what Moses himself said that when Moses asked the Lord, what is your name? that I can go back to my people and and, and tell them who is sending me to them, the Lord said, tell them I am who am sent you to them. And then later Moses pushes for more, and the Lord describes himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob. And he refers to that passage where the Lord is basically, the, he's speaking of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who had come much, much earlier than Moses did. He, the way that it's phrased, the Lord is basically saying, I am the God of, of, of these men now. I am now, in this moment, I am the God of Abraham. I am in this moment the God of Isaac, and I am now the God of Jacob. The way that it's phrased, Jesus is basically saying it would make no sense at all if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were just simply utterly dead and there was no life at all beyond life here on earth. It would not have made sense at all for God the Father to have referred to himself as, in that moment, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jesus then says, so he is the God of the living, not the God of the dead, for to him all are alive. And notice what Jesus is doing here. The Sadducees are only, they're they're only acknowledging those first five books. And so Jesus goes into the heart of them, the book of Exodus, and says to them, it's there. The reality of life beyond life here on earth it's there, and it, it, it's such a it's, it's such a beautiful thing, like the, the teaching. And of course, the, the Lord does this often. But it's like, wow, Lord, you, you, your 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 response, your answer, it just it gets right to it immediately. In the verses after this, where we're told, some of the scribes said in reply, "Teacher, you have answered well," and they no longer dared to ask him any questions. So there's such a, a wisdom. In this, but here's what I want you to look at, and it's more of kind of a pastoral approach or application of this. But I think it's something good for us to be aware of. The Lord is teaching here, not just about the resurrection of the dead. He's doing that, but He's also teaching us by His example that when the Sadducees put that question before Him, Jesus recognizes. There's a question under the question. They're not sincere. They're ridiculing him. He doesn't get drawn in or baited by that at all, but rather, he knows what's really going on in their hearts. And so he gets down to the deeper question. You're you're asking about this question about marriage, which is really a question, obviously, about the resurrection. And I'm gonna answer that for you, but I'm gonna answer in a way that gets down to, to the deeper stuff that's going on. And with great love for them and with great patience, he, he gets down to that question under the, the question. And that's what I, I, I want you to notice that because in our, in, in our earthly relationships, It often happens with family members, loved ones, co-workers and neighbors. It often happens that people would put questions to us, but if we're attentive enough in love for that person, what we will discover is that underneath that question, which may just be baiting us, or looking for an argument, or trying to ridicule us, what we will often find with the Holy Spirit helping to guide us is there's something underneath of that that really needs to be addressed. And this is what Jesus is doing in this passage. But implicitly, he's teaching us something about how how we are supposed to love one another. So let me give you a couple examples of this. Um, I, I, I've had so many different times uh, people will make the comment to me, just very matter-of-factly, well, I, I don't believe in God anymore. And just kind of just dump it out there. And of course, I, I, I attract those kinds of comments, just because, you know, dressing like a priest uh, people see, and there are, there are lots of situations where that ha- has happened over the years, lots and lots of times. And, you know, early on as a, as a young priest, a new priest, like my reaction wanted to be, like, well, we gotta fix this. And I, I gotta come up with every reason right now, intellectually, to counter what you just said. But you know, over over the years, and probably with, with some older, wiser priests kind of you know counseling me and, and reminding me, what what you come to realize is is that when when someone in that particular example, when someone just outright declares I do not believe in God and I think you're ridiculous for believing in God usually underneath of that there is a tremendous amount of pain and suffering that that person has been through or is going through and what what they're putting out there is probably not just the statement or the question like well Father you don't really believe this stuff do you? Underneath of that there's the heart's cry of, where is God in the midst of what I'm going through? And it's really amazing what happens when we're able to listen for that question under the question, not get baited in by or drawn into a, an, an angry argument by by the outer question, but are able to be attentive to what's going on underneath and it's amazing what the Lord can begin to do when, when we're listening for that deeper question. I had a priest um, uh, who made the comment once again, This is a, as a younger priest, kind of talking with a group of priests, and I know this is something that, I, I think it was Archbishop uh, Fulton Sheen who often would do it as well, but someone would, would make the comment to him, oh, I, I used to be Catholic, uh, no more. I got I got rid of that, and Archbishop Fulton Sheen's response often was, "Tell me what your sin is. What sin do you not want to give up?" Now, you could be looking for an argument with that, but I mean that's just another example of that statement of like, "Oh, I used to be. I am no longer Catholic anymore." What he, in his wisdom, understood was a lot of people who claim they're not Catholic anymore. they're they're wrestling with there's this thing in my life that I don't want to give up. And I'm also Catholic, which says I shouldn't have that in my life. And something's got to give. And what he often found is that he had a certain grace to call people out on that in love. But it's just another example of the question under the question. And this this happens a lot i mean so much of our daily interactions have this kind of thing going on years and years ago before i was even ordained when my older brother got married and my sister-in-law her family's from uh, virginia beach and the wedding was down there and the wedding the family wedding turned it flowed into a family reunion and i had a, a second cousin who was there at the wedding as well and One night, I I was a seminarian, I was home for one of my summers between uh, semesters over in Rome, and one night out on the deck, she and I were talking, and she was asking questions about the church's teachings on sexuality and all these different things. And the time, I I totally missed the question under the question. And I just, I I gave her all of the intellectual answers. Um, A couple years after that, like kind of kicking myself in hindsight, she, she had had announced to the whole big family just uh, she grew up not catholic but but in a, a a very kind of conservative christian home but um but she had announced that she was done with all of that um because of her same-sex attraction and i look back on that and i think like gosh how did i miss that it, it was in hindsight i i look back and i think gosh that, that would have been exactly the moment to have gotten to the question under the question, but at the time, just not just not mature enough or wise enough at, the, at, that, at that point. Um, but so all of this I, I'm sharing with you because there are lots of moments in our daily life when this kind of scene in the gospel is playing out. And we can learn from the Lord's example by being attentive and asking, Lord, help me to know, is there something underneath of this? So that in love, I, 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 can, I can be a blessing, or I can be a help, or I can be a source of comfort. Lord, help me to not just stay at the, that the outward, kind of more shallow level, but help me to go deeper. And the Lord does that here. And I think there's just something really, really good that we can learn from you all know, we we, we don't do a, a good job communicating these days. Um, and certainly texting, like so much gets lost in that. And, we, and we're not in a good place that way. But there's something here tonight that I think the Lord wants to teach us. And so as we continue on with the Mass, let's ask the Lord for that grace just to do what he did. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us so that even just this coming week, in my interactions with family and neighbors and coworkers, help me to be listening for what's underneath. And with your Holy Spirit to help guide me, Lord, help me to know what's really going on, that in love, I might respond to what's really, really present in the questions or the things that people are throwing out, that I might, I might imitate you, Lord, in this really beautiful kind of gentle wisdom that you have.